Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. We're jumping in again to our Faith in Action series. Uh, we're breaking down uh, anger, uh, and it was, it's just too big of a topic to, to leave with one, one uh, message. If you didn't hear last week's, I would highly encourage you to get online and, and listen to it. Um, as we looked at anger last you know, week, it's not the anger that's the issue. It's what we do with it that's the issue. You know, it says be angry, but don't sin. And we learn, we learn about what that looks like, especially in the context of church, the community of Christ, and how we are to live differently and treat each other differently and handle our anger differently among each other, which is a lot easier said than done. Um, because anger, a lot of times, is rooted in a lot of icky stuff, right? And anger is a natural response. But in Christ, we're learning that it's what we do and how we funnel that response can either give way for his will or give way for flesh. And it's, it's, it's not overcome in a day, but to understand what the standard is and what the hope is and who we are in Christ defines how we are to handle our anger should give us hope in a mark, in a name. Ephesians 4.25, we looked at this last week. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not, what? That's a command. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. There's a lot packed in there, but anger, man, anger isn't dealt with, isn't prayed about, if it isn't taken and really looked at and not just a, a, a means to uh, act upon your instincts because wrath is really acting out of anger, out of a place of anger, you see a lot of bad can happen. And ultimately the enemy of our souls, the enemy is, uh, he's the enemy of the church and he would like to do nothing more than to divide us. And anger often is the cause of church division. Not just the anger, but what is done with the anger. And he's like, so don't give place to the devil because once you do that, you see, it's like you've given him like a foot in. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't say don't be angry. Remember, we have to remember this. It's, a, it's what we do with it. It's how we process it. Do we pursue peace with one another or do we just take care of ourselves in this? It's hard. And so I want to read to you now 2 Corinthians 12.20. And this is from the English Standard Version because I like the words that are used here. Paul is saying, for I fear that perhaps, because Corinthians church in Corinth was having some trouble, but he says, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be what? Okay, jealousy, and what's this other one? What's this next one? What's this next one? <laughs> what's this next one? Mm. <laughs> and conceit, a puffing up, a loftiness, a pride, I'm better than you. I understand you don't. I can't believe you deal with this. (laughs) So do you see, most of these are rooted in some sort of anger. Someone's offended. Someone's gotten offended. And now they're quarreling or there's hostility. There's slander. So much of this is rooted in our anger. And this is not how you want to funnel your anger. 
This is what sin looks like in anger. And so as we look at this, okay, you're like, all right. So within the church, this is, we have to pursue righteousness in our anger. We don't want this to exist. We don't want to give the devil a place to begin to divide, right? And so, okay, okay we're really working. We're working. But the reality is we're only here maybe an hour and a half, two hours a week. And out there, we can justify most of this. We can justify anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit. And we can justify it. And a lot of us are filled with this. And so we have our church focus, but then we have our world focus. And yet so many of us feel justified in these things because now we're dealing with people that are not of the faith that offend us who insult us, who come against us. There's ideologies that drive us nuts. There's people that stand for those ideologies. There's neighbors that stand for those. There's family members. And so all of a sudden, we're cool with being hostile. We're cool with slandering. We're cool with being prideful. And it's like, we're going to realize how we act in there is how we need to act out there. And it's actually more not more important, equally important how we behave out there. That in our anger, we don't sin out there either. And so, I want to look at first this, because I hear this thrown around a lot. Well, it's a righteous anger. I get that. There is righteous anger. But righteous anger has no sinful motives. Righteous anger, fueled by the Spirit of God, has no sinful motives. It doesn't. Sin. Jesus kept perfect control of his emotions and he did get angry and he did certain things from that place, but it was righteous. It was good. Most of us don't suffer with righteous anger. Just saying. This is a hard message because I want to get into this because we are in a climate now that is probably one of the most divided climates we've ever been a part of. There's become a clear line of a humanistic worldview and a Christian worldview. There's a clear line that's been divided, and, it, and, and it's, getting, it's getting wider. And the ideologies, there's no common ground. You serve self or you serve God. And what I see out there, and this is an election year, so you think it's going to get worse or better. We got to be prepared. Because election time is not a time for the worst of us to come out, but the best. And so we have to understand what righteous anger looks like because we need to be part of bringing Christ into this atmosphere, not a part of the disorder and hostility, okay? Because ultimately those ideologies are going to make their way into your sphere through individuals. And you may encounter resistance and persecution and insults and all sorts of stuff. How are you going to handle it? And so, first of all, let's look at righteous anger. What's it it look like? Well, first of all, righteous anger is aroused by evil that profanes God's holiness and perverts his goodness. We become greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked and find their lawless deeds tormenting. Let's look at 2 Peter 2, verse 7. Speaking of Lot, who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He He was living in a place of filth, moral filth. 
It says, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed. See that? Oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So, first of all, you should be tormented by what you are seeing. You should be distressed. Righteousness, when it looks upon this stuff, should be distressed. So I'm not saying look through the world, look at the world through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing, yes, we are spiritually, you could feel the weight of where we're going. And it's tormenting. It's distressing. So know that. You are justified in that. But you have to also know that another part of righteous anger is that it is grieved. Grieved. By the evil it sees. Often we are infuriated because we're tormented or distressed, but we're not grieved. Big difference. So, Luke 19:41. Now, as he draw near, Jesus, he saw the city and he what? Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Let, okay, would this just be a, a great example of what it looks like? Jesus was weep, bitterly weeping over the city, over the people that would reject him, insult him, torture him, and kill him. And celebrate because of it. Jesus, as a father, sees all of his creation as a father would. You do not desire harm, but peace. For those of you that have loved ones that have gone astray, that have left the family and are pursuing flesh and pursuing things that are destroying them, do you grieve? Yes. You are tormented by their evil deeds, right? You're distressed by their life choices, but you don't desire to kill them. You grieve. We have the spirit of God within us. So ultimately, our torment has to be rooted in grief. We need to be grieving for the world. You see, and so only the spirit of God can produce this. But we have to understand the mark. We have to understand what God commands... That is possible through his spirit. This is his standard. God sees the world and all of his creation as those that he has created individually. He died so that none could perish. That's his ultimate desire. And so here we are in this time of history where the chasm is growing and growing and growing. And there's so much more hostility and people are not putting up with the word of God or putting up with faith. But it doesn't mean we join the party. We pursue something higher. We pursue ways that are higher, that aren't overcome and pulled into the filth. And we need to look at this. Righteous anger, first of all, sees the log in our own eyes first. We are humbled and grieved and angered by our own perverting of God's goodness. See, this is, this is where the pride thing gets in the way. Because we could see all the bad stuff, but yet we are so above it. We forget that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his atoning blood, none of us would have a chance. 
But we take a lofty view of the world from a lofty place and cast judgment. But Jesus says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Boy, he was brilliant. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly then to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you see what he's saying? There's a speck there, but what Jesus is saying, you have forgotten your own poverty of spirit. You have forgotten how you are. You have forgotten that because of Jesus you have hope, not because of any righteous good deeds that you've done, but because you've accepted Jesus. And as you remember your standing before Christ, and that the only reason you could stand before him is because of him, what happens is now you're in a rightful place to see clearly then how to help remove. You see what that, you see? It keeps you in a humble place. To see clearly or to have wisdom on how to deal and to speak. But often we get so angry and we swing that plank everywhere. And all people see is the plank. So we have to look at ourselves. We have to go, all right, Lord, yes, I'm, I am angered. I, you know, I turn on the news and I'm just like. But you knew all of this. Jesus isn't surprised by anything going on right now. If anything, he knew all of it and died for each and every person. He carried the weight of all that sin upon himself. Every bit of sin that we see in the world that is driving us nuts, Jesus knew and took it upon himself so that there could be hope for mankind and so that us as believers and followers of Jesus could bring the goodness of who he is into all this nastiness. Not be part of it. Okay? So that clears up righteous anger. (laughs) The anger of man is more concerned with man than with God. Can we just agree on that? James 119. Let's go back to this verse from last week. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man and woman be swift to, slow to, and then slow to, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wrath is that instinctive part of us once we've been angered, once we've been offended. That you know, it comes up, it comes up, and then it's just like, it doesn't produce who we are. It doesn't, come on, can we agree it doesn't produce righteousness? Come on. So, going to help us here. Let's look at Galatians 5.19. This is who we used to be. Now the works of the flesh, a being without the spirit, are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. 
of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, because it's all they know. This is a being that is not in spirit. These are people without the hope of Jesus. This is how it plays itself out. It's all flesh serving. And what's listed in here are the overflow of anger, hatred. Anyone suffer with that when you hear something that just drives you nuts? Contentions, outbursts of wrath, dissensions, murders. I'm not saying, but sometimes we we fantasize. (laughs) But do you see what I'm saying though? Do you see what's lumped into the old flesh? Do you see what's lumped in to when all you have is is a spirit of flesh that you can serve? Anger leads to wrath and you sin from that place. And Jesus is saying, you're not this anymore. You are not this, no matter how justified you are, you are not this. That is the old, the new has come. And now he says, but the fruit of the spirit which is in us is what? Love. Joy. What's this? What's this next one? What's that translated into? Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness. Oh, what's this one? Gentleness. And what? Do you see? We have the tool within us, the Spirit of God, that helps us in our anger, that helps us to have a righteous anger controlled by the Spirit that will actually, like we're going to see, make a difference. If we live, and, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who would say anger creates desire? <laughs> who would say anger creates desire? Come on. Anger create. I'm just going to tell you, whether you know it or not. Anger creates desire in you. The Spirit will change those desires if we allow Him to. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So let's look at this practically. The Bible will give us practical illustrations and commands of how to, to funnel our anger in a way that is righteous. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. That's not a typo. That's not a mistranslation. It says, bless those who persecute you. I, I don't know how else to, so don't. Like, you'll see, bless them. Does that seem impossible? At some level, yes. Bless those who persecute you, who stand against you, who come against you, who insult you who threaten you, who even try to harm you, it says bless them, not curse them. He goes, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be, on the, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion, which to me, this is the, this is the pandemic. That everyone is wise in their own opinion and everyone needs to hear it. And the answer to that is, no, they don't. 
Then it goes, repay no one evil for anger. A lot of times says, I need to repay that right now. Right? There needs to be some retribution right now. I need to make sure that that doesn't go unmatched, unanswered. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Keeping your eye on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Understanding that your purpose and the way you navigate through things is dictated by a higher purpose and higher commands than that of what you are facing. And it says, now watch this. Let's read this together. If it is as much as depends on live with men. Talk about a strong command. You want to know how we are to live and how we are to navigate our way through life out there. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on us, live peaceably with all men. He didn't say the ones that deserved it. Actually, in the context, it's those that treat you wrong or, mis- or mistreat you. Because it says, beloved, do not avenge yourself. But rather give place for wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you see, when you understand that God is perfectly good and perfectly just and perfectly right, we can trust, like, all right, Lord, ultimately you want everyone to come to a saving knowledge. And any wrongdoing, justice will happen, but it's not my place. I'm going to leave it to you, the perfect judge. And I'm going to seek your will here and pursue peace because I'm really not of this world. I'm an alien in this world. I'm a sojourner. I belong up there. I belong in eternity. And this is helping me become more and more of who I'm supposed to be anyway. And so, our action item, if you want to write it down, is we are to pursue peace. Not revenge. We are to pursue peace. Not revenge. And revenge can take on a lot of different forms. But it's basically, like, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm, just, I'm not going to just retaliate, retaliate, retaliate. See, Christian love is an act of will, not simply emotion. This is what we have to understand. Christian love is an act of will, not simply emotion. Jesus chose the cross as an act of his will. You see, we choose peace. We choose to pursue peace out of a will to do so. Because I guarantee you, you won't feel like it. (laughs) You won't feel like it. Especially when the person across from you stands for everything you're against. And it doesn't say, make them your best friend. It just says, pursue peace. And so, let's look at this now. How do you pursue peace? How in the world do you do that? Well, it says in Romans 12, 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what? I don't want to invite him over for dinner. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. (laughs) No. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. I like that. (laughs) But that's not why you do it. But actually, this is a positive thing because a lot of scholars believe that this was a burning conviction. Like all of a sudden, when you repay evil with kindness, it does something to people. 
It's not like his, ha, 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 I'm going to make him feel even worse. That's not the motivation. Because your motivation is always for repentance. Your motivation is always that they would meet the Lord. That they would come into a place of knowledge and understanding. And it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'll read that again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, that's the mark. Doesn't mean don't be tormented or distressed by it or grieved by it, but don't be overcome by it. I think there's many of us in here that are overcome by the state of our nation and the state of morality. We're overcome by it, meaning we can't see the light anymore. We're perpetual victims now. It's like, no. Jesus has overcome it already. Jesus has defeated sin and death. His patience means that there are more to be saved. So we are not to be overcome by the state of our neighbors and even our family or even the name. We are to just see it for what it is and be grieved and know that we have a place in this society to literally bring good into the mess. And you could have opinions and you could have ideologies and persuasions, but there's a way to talk about it that pursues peace, not division. There's a way to talk about it without grouping an entire mass of people into one group and calling them whatever you call them. Right? So Jesus gives us a breakdown here. How do you not overcome? How do you overcome evil with good? Well, Matthew 5, 38, he says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it was stated, it was a law, but it was a principle limiting retribution for the civil government. It had nothing to do relationally. It kept the government in check that they couldn't take more. The punishment had to fit the crime. It couldn't go over and beyond. It was a way to keep the civil government in check and protect the citizens. But now it put this this, this rule, this law, into personal relationship. And that was not the heart of the law. Like, that's not what this is meant for. It's not like, you do this to me, I'm going to do it back. You say this to me, I'm going to say it back. Which I think we're kind of wired that way at some level. And they were using the law to justify. He's like, that is not the heart of the law. Here's really God's standard. And then he goes on to say, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. We need to understand, this is not justifying a physical attack. That if you're being beat with a bat, they allow someone to beat you with a bat. A slap was an insult. The type of hitting that was being talked about here or focused on was an insulting slap. Like in the old days with the glove, right? You swine. (laughs) But it was an insult. And so now do you see the, 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 the spirit of this? He's like, if someone insults you, don't insult them back. Let them insult you again. Is that all you got? But you take it. He says, you willfully, because you want to pursue peace and reflect who Jesus is and who God is and his spirit in the moment. God is not a God that acts instinctively and repays back evil for evil just because it feels good. Now I've defended my name. He pursues the good for all. And so to be insulted is to sit for a minute and go, well, if he wants to come back at me again, that's fine. 
yeah, I had a hard time studying this. (laughs) But again, we're driven by the Spirit of God and by a higher purpose. Don't return insult for insult. But again, I want to clear up something because I know where some of your heads might go. It does not mean that there is no place for punishment or retribution in society. This is about personal relationships. The government is in place to protect its citizens from physical attack. It's protect the innocent and the powerless. And even the military is to protect us from regimes that might come against us. It doesn't say that. This is one-on-one. But there is a place for justice within society. You see what I mean? It's like, yeah, someone may steal from you, and you can pursue peace, but it doesn't mean they still have to, they didn't still need to have the, the consequences. But you could still pursue peace in the middle of that. Does that make sense? He goes, if anyone wants to take away your tunic, wants to sue you and take away your tunic, this is crazy. Let them have your cloak also. So somehow there's legal grounds to take away the tunic. What you need to know is the cloak could never be taken. By the law, the cloak could never be taken under any any circumstance. So Jesus is saying, let them have what they can maybe have legally and then give to them what they can't have legally. What? But there's legal grounds here. It's not just someone trying to rob them. It's like they want to sue them. So there's a lot in this, but basically it's a radically unselfish attitude to one's right and property. This is what the spirit of God does. It pursues peace above all things. You see what I mean? No, I'm not quite ready yet. Hold on. (laughs) Just five minutes. That'll just be real awkward. (laughs) Do you have somewhere to be? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It was awesome. But again, true love seeks the person over everything else. True purpose. And it says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Under the Roman Empire, a Roman uh, soldier could come up to you and say, take my pack, and you're going to march with me in one mile. They had to say yes. It was that type of regime. And Jesus says, don't argue about it. Actually, go two miles. What about my rights? But are you seeing how all this could be encompassed in a desire to live peaceably and to shine the love and power of Christ through us? You see, this quote says, the Jews fiercely resented such impositions, and Jesus' choice of this example deliberately disassociates himself from militant nationalists. Rather than resisting or even resenting, the disciples should volunteer for a further mile. So it transcended political affiliation to do the will of God. And it says, and you've heard, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. No, the Bible said, love your neighbor. But some of the uh, religious scribes of the time actually added a mis- added something that was evil and sinful and not what God said. He said, and you are to hate your enemy. That, they, they never said that. But yet they put it in as a command of God. You can love your fellow Jews, but anybody outside of that, you can hate. Jesus like, no, no. <laughs> That is not the heart of the law. 
You're to love them. Your neighbor, who has, like, anyone have a good neighbor? Who has a difficult neighbor? (laughs) Or maybe even your neighbor that sits next to you at work. (laughs) There's a place for anger, but it's what we do with it. We pursue peace as best we can, and we will find life. And then it goes on to say, you can come up now. (laughs) But I say to you, what's it say? That's Jesus. But I say to you, what if he was here? Would we stop him and say, but what about, but what about, but what about, no, he doesn't qualify. Then he goes on, this is even worse. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is the opposite of what we want to do most of the time. But this is how Jesus sees the world and his creation. And this is what we have been birthed into as a new creation, into this kingdom that lives for a different kingdom, not this kingdom. And we bring the good news of his kingdom through all of this mess. And then it goes on to say that you you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Do not even tax collectors do this. Oh, no, no, no. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The most despised group of people in this culture. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do uh, more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Meaning, you are going to seek to be the example of the standard that is God. This is God's standard. And as we pursue this, we become more and more of a reflection. And each and every one of us are being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. So this was a hard message, but I think we have to be prepared as the climate is going to continually get more and more hostile and more offensive, but we're not victims, right? We're not victims. Man, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this word. And Lord, as, I think it just hits all of us somewhere, <laughs> But I pray that this isn't, yes, it may seem impossible, but Lord, that's the good news of your spirit and the fruit of the spirit. That Lord within us is the ability through you to be able to pursue peace, to be gentle and kind as we deliver your good news through our actions, through our deeds, through our behavior. Jesus, I pray for us as a body that no matter what is brought our way, Lord, by this culture that we could stand together as a peaceful body that reveal the goodness of God by how we respond. Lord, I pray for those that have so much anger burning within them and so much offense, Lord, that you could help today just just, just calm that, Lord, and, and give them a view of their circumstances that can only come through you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for a higher way. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. 
to contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalacci.com. That's russ, F-A-I-L-L-A-C-I dot com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.